Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Hopefully everyone had a wonderful new year, bringing in the new year with family and friends. That you had a blessed time. This is your first time here. I just want to extend a welcome to you. We're happy to have you. Feel free to hang out after the service. Introduce yourselves. We'll love to talk and just get to know you more. Like Matt said, my name is Ricardo, and I'll be um, we'll be continuing in the book of James as we start the new year. We started the book of James before the holidays, and we're just going to keep going and keep pushing through. So today we'll be in James 1, and we'll be in um, verses 9 through 18. So last week we talked about, we were in Colossians, and we talked about how we need to remain deeply rooted and remain steadfast in, in the gospel of Christ. And, and that even whatever we may go through in life, our goal is to remain deeply rooted and stay rooted in the gospel. And we realize that that's not an easy feat. That's, I can say that up here, and it sounds nice, but I, the truth is that life happens. We have to deal with people. Sometimes we've got to deal with family. And it's hard. It's hard to remain deeply rooted in the gospel. It's hard to keep your mind on what um, we're supposed to be doing and living out as followers of, of Christ. And a lot of times it's, when, when life gets hard, it's, it's just it's difficult to push through pain. It's difficult to pr- push through exhaustion or it's difficult to just without knowing what's going to happen to keep fighting the good fight. And um, we're called to remain steadfast and to persevere no matter what. And so I think about um, think about athletes and how um, the pain and the training that they go through and they put their body through and how they have to persevere and just put their bodies through rigorous training, rigorous um, components, and they have to make it through the end. And I think the only way that athletes are able to do that is with an end goal in mind, is they have a goal. They want to get bigger. They want to get faster. They want to get stronger, ultimately, to win a world championship or, or be the best in, in their sport. And they're able to put through their bodies through a lot of things because at the end of the day, they have an end goal in mind. So my question for us is, what as believers, what is our end goal? What are we working towards? And we need to ask that question and know what the answer to that question because knowing the answer to that question will help us push through difficult times in life. Knowing what we're fighting for, what the purpose of our life here is, will help us push through hard times in our life. And I believe we find that answer as we, as we look in, in the book of James as we go through it, that we find what our end goal is, what we are fighting for, what we struggle for. So if, we guys can, if we can read in James with me, start in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desires, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Father God, we, we humble ourselves. We come before your throne of mercy, before your throne of grace, and we fall on our knees and we thank you for your love. We thank you for the mercy that you've given us, Father God, and that you've given us a way that when life gets hard, you've given us a way to dive deeper into you and to persevere through those struggles, Lord. So we thank you for that, Lord. We ask that you come today, that you speak through me, and that you convict each and every one of us where we need to be convicted of, Father God. Lead us. Open our hearts. May we leave here today a little bit more mature and grown in our faith, Father God. We ask that you eliminate any distractions we may have today, Lord. We ask that you bless this time that we have together. May it be a fruitful, may it be a time of growth. In your name we pray. Amen. So if I've had to pick one main idea that I get out of reading this set of passage, it's that those who persevere trials will be rewarded. We have ultimately as believers, as Christians, we have a reward that we're working towards as long as we remain steadfast, as long as we persevere through the trials and through the testings of this life. So that is my main overarching idea. But other than that, I got, I got four points that I, I would like to share with you guys that I got from this passage, and then we'll make our way out of here. So the first point, as we'll see in verses 9 through 11, is that everyone receives, receives the same reward. That it does not matter your status in this world, it does not matter what you've been through. At the end of the day, we all receive the same reward. You can join me in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. And so some, some translations, they, they translate lowly here for, for poor. Let the poor brother boast in his exaltation. So they're, we're supposed to, the lowly brothers, the poor people are supposed to take boast. They're supposed to take pride in their exaltation, in the fact that they have a high status in Christ, that in Christ we all have, we raise in power, we raise in rank before the Lord because of our exaltation, because of our status in Christ. And we see here that even, that the lowly brother boasts in his exaltation, that even the poor are vindicated by Christ, that it does not matter what you have or what you don't have, that at the end of the day, you are to boast in your exaltation. You are to boast that you have a higher status, that you have received salvation in Christ. You may not have everything you want. You may not have everything that you need, but you have a higher status in Christ. As we, as we continue, we see that it says, And the rich in his humiliation. The rich are supposed to boast, take pride in their humiliation. Or, or the King James says, boast in that he is made low. And so we see that even the rich people, those who have a higher status within, other, uh, within our, our community, that they're supposed to boast in their littleness, boast in their lowness. That, that even compared to God, they are still low. They are still little compared to the greatness and to the magnitude of our Lord. And we see here that 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 in the eyes of the Lord, the rich are no different than the poor. 
that you don't receive a greater salvation because you have more money or because you have greater possessions, that it's the same salvation that is made to the poor that the, the rich receive as well. That it does, you know, the wealth that you've amassed does not matter in the eyes of the Lord. That we all are made righteous through the same sacrifice of Christ, despite your status, despite what you may have in life. Everyone in the eyes of the Lord is the same. And he goes on, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Ultimately, we're all humans, we're all finite beings, and we all will pass away. Just because you have greater wealth, just because you don't have wealth, does not mean that you're any different in the eyes of the Lord. Eventually, we all will die, and we're given the same salvation. We're given the same, same resort in Christ. If you go on to verse 11, For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and withers the grass, and withers the grass, it flowers, falls, and its beauty perishes, so that also the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. We see here that that worldly wealth is temporary. That what we, may, what we may amass here on earth does not go with us to heaven. That everything we build and we gain here does not follow us to heaven. What I want to make clear here is that James is not admonishing, not admonishing wealth itself. He's admonishing the, the mindset, the attitude that sometimes the wealthy may have as they get through life. He says, in the midst of their pursuits. The fact that, that while they're, even though they may be rich, they are still pursuing things and not placing the Lord where he, he, should, he should be. I'm not saying that it's a sin to be wealthy, that it's a sin to be rich. We have all throughout the Bible, we have Abraham who was described as wealthy, Solomon who was described as wealthy. What I'm saying is, is that if we're not careful with our finances, we, have, we can end up serving another God, not God himself. We see this in Matthew 6:24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And this is what we're James is getting at here, that we have to be mindful of our attitude when we receive wealth. And we'll see this in later as we go further into the book of James in, in chapters 2. We see that the rich within the church were getting a better treatment than the poor. There was being seats were being saved for, for the rich, and they were just being treated differently. And I think this is what James is getting at, is that despite what we may believe, despite our outward appearance in the Lord, we, still, we all have the same salvation. We all still come to the same God, and he treats us the same way. It does not matter what you may have, what you may build. And we see here that, that James is hinting at, at a heart issue. That we see that in, in, in the context of this book, when we look at verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet your trials of various kinds, for you know that your testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That James is getting at, at the heart of our problems when we're here on earth. And that we have a trouble finding acceptance or finding satisfaction in God. That we ultimately resort to worldly things when we seek satisfaction. That, that we are not truly satisfied in God. That we have to go searching at other things, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in, in our work, in our family, in our wealth. We try to find satisfaction in other things. And, and if we don't, we don't seek to be satisfied in the Lord, you will die in the pursuits of those other satisfactions. 
Psalms 107, 4-9 says, Some wander, wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered from them their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works for the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and their hungry soul he fills with good things. And we see that, that we are to find our satisfaction in nothing else but Christ. That if we don't find our satisfaction in Christ, we will continue to go looking for things that, we, that will not satisfy that hunger in us, that will not satisfy that need that we, we have. It's only in God that he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Ultimately, where I'm getting at is we need to find contentment in God. We need to find contentment in life. We need to be all right with where we're at and not lust over things that, we, that aren't ours, not covet our neighbor's possessions. But we need to thank God that he's given us what he's given us and that we don't need anything else because we have God. And that's all we need. Second point today, we see in verse 12 that only those who persevere will be rewarded. Verse 12 reads, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast and under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Who is the crown of life given to? To those who remain steadfast, to those who God promised it. So the crown of life here is pointing towards eternal life, is pointing towards our salvation. Ultimately, we will be with God in heaven if we persevere through the trials and through the testing of this life. If we push through the hurt, if we push through the exhaustion, if we push through the pain, and we learn to lean on God and remain steadfast in his truth, and we persevere through our life struggle, then at that point where the crown of life be given to you that God promised, then will you receive eternal life, salvation. And we see that our reward is eternal life. Not worldly possessions, not a great family, a happy family, not a job that we love to do, that we enjoy getting up to. None of that matters. Our reward ultimately is in Christ. It's in the salvation that God has given us. And that's all we're working towards. That's all we have. We have to look at the fact that God has promised us salvation, and that's what we need to remain steadfast in, not in anything else. Not in our own selves, not, not in our church, not in our families. We remain steadfast because of what God has promised, and he's promised us eternal life. And so we're tried and we're tested. And we understand as we, as we, as we looked earlier in November, as we looked at, at verse 2, how do you find various trials for joy? You have to understand that that trials and testing have a purpose, that you go through life, that life gets hard for you because God has a purpose in that testing. God has a purpose for you in that trial. So trials and testing have a purpose. They are meant to produce fruit. They are meant to produce maturity. You go through trials, you go through testing because they produce genuine faith. This is why earlier in the book, James said, count it all as joy. Because as we go through trials, as we're tested, and as life gets a little bit difficult, we built spiritual maturity. 
It's the same thing that we look forward to. We, we, we remain and we remain steadfast in God because of what he's promised to us. And ultimately, so we become more mature in that. Romans 5, 1, 1 through 5 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering produces endurance. We don't like to suffer. We don't like to go through life. We don't like it when life gets hard. But it's through those trials, it's through those, those testings that we're able to remain steadfast in God, that we build character, that we build strength, that we learn to trust God in everything that he's given us. So we, we count it as joy that, that, that God is willing to, to train us up, to remain steadfast, to persevere so that we can enter into heaven with him. Trials are designed to produce spiritual maturity. And God has promised that as long as you remain steadfast to everyone who pushes through life, who pushes through the hardness of all the suffering and the pain, you are promised eternal life. And we have to keep our goal in that, that when life is hard, when we don't want to do it anymore, when we don't want to get up in the mornings and pray because we're tired, because we're up all night, or because people have heard us. We've we got to remind ourselves of what God has promised. He's promised to give us eternal life with him. As long as we push through, as we continue to push through the hard areas in life. James goes on in verses 13 to 15. He makes a point. There's a difference between being tested and being tempted. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he, he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then, des, then desire, when it has conceived, is birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So we have to understand that there's a difference between being tested and being, and being tempted. That testing has a purpose, that God tests us for an ultimate purpose. It has a purpose. But when we're being tempted, tempted, being in temptation means you're being lured into evil. Even, even our, our, our worldly definitions of that, I looked at Webster's, and to be tempted is to entice to do wrong or evil. Or being in temptation, in temptation, Webster says, the act of tempting or the state of being tempted, especially to evil. So this is why James is saying that God does not tempt us because ultimately temptation leads to evil and God is good and he does not, he is not enticed by evil. God, if we say that God is good and he is holy, then he cannot be tempted by evil. This is why it's important, why doctrine is important, why theology matters. We have to have a proper understanding of who, the, uh, who God is and who we serve. We have to understand that he cannot tempt us. As much as we may want to say this, as much as we say, God has tempted me to do this, that God is not tempted by evil. 
If we are to say that God is truly a holy and that he is truly a good God, we cannot at the same time say that he is tempting us to do evil. So we see that, that ultimately, where does temptation come from? It comes from within. But each person is tempted, verse 14, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. We're tempted to do wrong. We're tempted to sin because of our own desires and nothing else. The core of temptation is our evil desi- is our desires to do evil. So the problem isn't that, that God has given us too much to handle or, or that God has tempted us to sin. The problem is our nature. The problem is our heart. At the end of the day, it's not God. It is your heart that is enticing you to do evil. It is your heart that is enticing you to sin, not God. The King James Version um, translates desire here with lust. Or, or the definition of, of lust is an intense longing. That it comes from within. That your desire to do evil comes from deep within things that you wish you want to do. Things that ultimately lead you against God. It's like a person who, who, who cannot stop himself from stealing. And he goes into a store and says, oh gosh, God is tempting me to steal right now. That's not how it works. He has a heart issue and he has to deal with. He has to deal with his own selfish desires. Or the person who struggles with, with lust from the opposite sex. And they're at the beach and they say, God is tempting me right now. That's not how that works. You have issues within your own heart that you have to deal with. And that sin ultimately comes from within. It's conceived in our hearts, and then we act out. And we see James here, he says, sin leads to death. This is not instantaneous. This isn't something where you walk and you're, you're tempted, and then you sin. Years, years ago, there was a song by, um, by a group called Casting Crowns called Slow Fade. And there's this idea that, that ultimately people who fall into, into deep sin, it does not happen overnight. That it's, it's a slow fade. It happens over, over times where you're not coming before God. You're not bringing your worries. You're not praying. You're not, you're not spending time with God. And we start to ignore God and we start to put him on the back burner. And then eventually our sins and our desires and our lust takes over. I was reading an article of a pastor in Texas who, who was found with, with a prostitute and who was found with weed and he was gambling. And I just thought of today and I thought, like, he, he did not just decide one day to wake up and go find and cheat on his wife. He did not just wake up one day and decide, I'm going to go ahead and smoke weed even though it's illegal in this state. He had times where he did not go before God and he did not seek to... to he did not seek to destroy his own selfish desires. This will be my plug. This is why I believe it's important for us to be in Christian community. This is why I think it's, if you are a member here, I encourage you, get involved in a small group. Get involved in a life group. Ultimately, those people who fall into, into some great sin, they're not spending time with other believers. They're trying to hide from communion with other believers because they don't want to be called out for their mess. Ultimately, when we are in, in Christian community, we 
are giving God the chance to give, put people in our lives to call us out for the sins and for those unanswered desires that we have. And so my, my calling is, if you are not in a small group, we have two small groups who would love to get more going here, but get involved, get in one, get around other believers who can, who can pray with you, who can just poke and prod. And that's not a bad thing. We need to have other believers around us who can see us and say, something's not right. What's wrong? We need to have other believers around us who, who are willing to call us out on our own mess because we won't call ourselves out. And so, once again, this is my plug for you. If you haven't been a part of a small group of a life group here, get involved. Start this new year right. Talk to one of the elders. Talk to one of the leaders. We would love to see every member of this church in a small group. That's where life happens. We come here, we can sit under the word of God, but life happens in small groups, in our Christian communities. So please, please get involved. We have two going on right now. Seek, ask. We would love to have you out. It's an important aspect of, of our life as Christians is to be in community with one another. Moving forward, my third point. God saves according to his own will and nothing else. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my, brother, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow to change, due to change. And so Paul, James here is saying, do not be misled by the false teachings. He's, he's referring back to what he's talking about in verses 13 through 15. Don't let someone come and tell you something that's not true about who God is. Do not be, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Once again, this is why I believe theology and doctrine and a proper understanding of who God is is important. If we don't have a proper understanding of God, then we're, enti- we're enticed to say and do things that aren't true. To believe that God is the one who's tempting us to do evil. And then we think that it's okay because it's okay because God is letting me do this. If, if God didn't want me to do this, he wouldn't put this in my life. And that's not how it works. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The Bible says that, that in Psalm 106 and 107, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. What we see in Mark 10, where it says, No one is good but God. So we have to have a proper understanding of who God is. If God is to be all good, if he is good, if he encompasses everything that is good, and all good comes from God, he cannot be tempted by evil. To say that God is enticed by sin is to deny who God is, is to deny his character. This is why we need, yes, we need to be reading the scriptures on a daily basis. We have daily Bible reading plans out, out there in, in the foyer. But on top of that, it's important to be reading other sources as well. It's important, it's important to supplement our reading of the scriptures with, with either some commentaries or some theology or some doctrinal books so that we have a proper understanding of who God is and his character. Because if we don't, then we're led astray. He is the author, it says, verse 7, 
coming down from the Father of lights. God is the author of good. And we see God, God's goodness is manifested in many ways. We see that God is all good because of the love and mercy and grace that he's given us. And James here makes two distinctions. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. Things, a good gift is, is things of, of nature, is, is a son. It's a good gift that we're able to go out and, and sit within the sun and be, I know I am. I am blessed when I can just sit outside and receive the warmth of the sun. Not everyone is like that. Or providence or grace or spiritual gifts. That's what, what, what James is getting at here when he says every good gift. And every perfect gift. Gifts of righteousness, of the remission of sins, the adoption, the regeneration, eternal life. Those are all the perfect gifts that James is talking about here. And that all of it comes from God because he is the father of good. Ultimately, when, when we see in our Bibles, when it's talking about, about, about God and, and being the light, ultimately all good comes from light when we see. Matthew 5, 14, 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We see that God is the author of all good, and we are called to be the lights of the world. We are called to live out and bring goodness into the world because of who God is. We also see in this verse, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We, learn, we see here that God is immutable. He does not change. Psalms 102, 25-28. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, and you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same. You, your, and your ears have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. But you are the same. Or Malachi 3.6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God who we serve today is the God of a thousand years ago, is the God of the future. That God does not change. His grace and his mercy still works the same way as it did for Abraham, works for us. God does not change. And we find comfort and reassurance that ultimately God does not change. It's one of his characteristics. It's one of his incommunicable attributes, as some of the doctrinal books would say. The fact that God does not change, that is what makes God, God. That he isn't defined, that he isn't limited by our finite understanding, that he is an infinite God, that he is a holy God, and that he has always worked the same throughout all of creation. At no point did God ever change who he was to his core. If God were not immutable, then he would not be God. We have to have a proper understanding of this. We have to have a proper understanding of who God is. If we are to serve him right, if we are to, to lead a life that is honoring to God, we have to have a proper understanding of who God is and his character. Ultimately, God's love and mercy and grace, they do not change. 
does not matter what you're going through in life. does not matter what you've been through. God's love and grace does not change for you. It's always been the same. Sometimes we think we have to pretty ourselves up before we, we come to God, but that's not true. Because God's love does not change according to what we do, according to what we look, according to what we may say or do. God's love and grace does not change. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You see that God saved us according to his own will. You know, he did not get together with other, with other beings. He did not get together with other people and say, who, should, who am I going to save? God saves us because he wants to. God does not need to save us. He wants to save us. He's the one, as it says here, he's brought us forth. He's the one who's regenerated us. That it's through his own will. There is nothing that you did to earn the salvation that you have. There is nothing that you will ever do to gain eternal life. God has saved us according to his own will. How? By the word of truth. By the gospel. The gospel is how we are born again. This is why it's important that we speak the truth, that we read the scriptures, that we come to church and we stand under God's reading and we hear the gospel on a regular basis. This is why we need to be sharing the gospel with our co-workers, with our family members who aren't saved. Because it's through the hearing of the gospel that people are saved. If people do not hear the gospel, how do we expect them? To be saved, how do we expect them to earn salvation if they do not hear the gospel? If they do not hear the truth of God's word, how do we expect people to become Christians? This is why it's important that we share the gospel, that we open our mouths, and that we preach the gospel of Christ and only Christ, nothing else. Because it's through the word of truth that people are saved. We cannot be afraid to open our mouths to share the gospel of Christ. And I say that stand up here where I know it's a hard thing. I work in the behavioral health field. And there are times where I'm hearing these stories of the family members of all they're going through. And all I want to do is share the gospel with them. And it's hard not to. And it's hard to sometimes because of, of my position. Do I risk my job? Do I risk not, not being able to support my family anymore? But there are moments where all that people need to hear is that God loves them and that he does send his son to die for their sins. It doesn't matter what they're going through in life. It doesn't matter the mess that they're in. That God still sent his son to die for those who believe in him. And we cannot be afraid to share that. We must Preach the gospel of Christ. It is through the word and truth of the gospel that people are saved. I'd like to end with reading 1 Peter 1, 3-9. Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, it's tested, it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is expressed and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We rejoice in the fact that, that we, can, we go through trials that were tested. Because it's through those trials, it's through that testing that, that our character is built. That we, that we are able to remain in hope in God. That every time life gets a little bit difficult, you realize what you've been through and all that has led you to that point and you realize that you serve a holy and perfect and mighty God that if he's gotten you through to this point, he will keep you through. That's why we need to be tested. That's why we rejoice in our trials. We rejoice in our tribulations because God has given us everything we need to remain steadfast, to persevere. And we persevere, we remain steadfast, we don't, we don't give up because of what is promised to us. That is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we, we humble ourselves before you, God. We thank you that, that you, we don't know all of you, that, that we cannot ever comprehend the fullness of what it means for you to be, to be God. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your goodness, that everything that is good comes from you, Father God. We thank you that, that, that you've cared enough to invest into our lives, that, that you've given us trials, that you've given us tests, to, that we are able to build character that we're able to build endurance that we're able to remain steadfast through those trials we thank you lord we thank you for the eternal gift of salvation that you're given to those it's a promise from you god that if we remain in you and we remain steadfast and we persevere we will be in eternity with you we thank you lord we give you praise and honor for that we ask that you be with us as we go through this rest of this day and as the week goes on that we're able to, to remain steadfast despite how hard life may get, despite the difficulties that we may face this week, we still have salvation. We still have you. We can lean on you, Father God. We thank you and we honor you. We praise you in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ricardo. Uh, as we, it's fitting.